Welcome to For The Record. This is episode 71, your weekly music podcast. Hope you're all keeping well out there, enjoying yourselves as we cruise beautifully through November. My name is Sean Tierney. I am your host. My co-host extraordinaire is Zach Buggy, and he's with me there across the screen. How goes it, my man? I'm a little annoyed that like I didn't make a big joke about episode 69 when we reached episode 69. Yeah, I think we only made a throwaway comment at the end of it, and we were kind of yeah. too we were kind of too bait from having talked about the scary albums to to really go into it. Yeah, to be fair, that yeah, it wasn't really an episode to be like oh, 69 with all the <laughs> No, probably not. And uh, this episode is is going to be um, not grim. I don't think it's a it's an idea I've kind of been throwing around for a while in my brain, um, and. Well, the inspiration for it is that I think music fans inherently, whether we like it or not, have we have kind of an inbuilt snobbery to us uh, where the, the typical choice for a band's favorite song or favorite album may not necessarily always be the one we'll go for, you know. Um, that's just that, that's that, that, that's like saying water is wet. You know, it's just it's just the way it is. So. What I've done is I've <laughs> I've put together a list of about 20, 20 songs that are, are are huge in terms of of metal and alternative and stuff, and then some songs as well like that that are just huge in general. And I'm gonna fire the Matt Zach. He doesn't know what songs I've picked, and he's gonna tell me are they a banger or a clanger? Are they a bop or a flop? Are they a hit or a miss? And um. I want to see what he thinks. And I haven't picked the band's biggest song in each case because I think more most of the time, I think we'd, we'd have the same, you know, feeling whether it's good or not. Um, I've gone for stuff that maybe the second biggest song or something like that. But we'll see as you go through. And we'll we'll turn the tables next week then, won't we? Where yeah. I'm going to punish you instead. You're going to fire some tunes at me. Yeah. I, I've actually, I, I honestly, I've been, I think I've been very kind to you. I haven't picked anything like I don't know we'll see um, and as well it's kind of interesting as well because there's some bands on here that just because of the nature of the podcast and stuff I don't know what you think about them so it's, it, it'll kind of be an interesting little gauge of where we are but there is a funny thing as well about how <clears throat> like you and I you know we often make the we make reference to the Venn diagram of mm. like where our tastes intersect and where they diverge and I think it's funny that you know even people in bands together who like make music together that they're both pr all proud of can have like very varying tastes to certain degrees. Like even um, a couple of weeks ago, we reviewed the new, or no, just last week, sorry, we reviewed the new Blink-182 album, mm -hmm. and uh, which I've just been super vibing over still. But in that documentary, like Zane Lowe interview they did, you know, there was a, <laughs> it was a great moment where Travis Barker mentioned... Um, talking about like hanging with Post Malone to Tom DeLonge. <laughs> Tom DeLonge was like, who? It <laughs> <laughs> was like, and that's just Tom. Like Tom yeah. would have no idea who the biggest pop star rapper on the planet is. Like Tom, Tom still listens to like Descendants and U2 like, and, and talks to government officials about aliens. And that's just the way he is. Like, Post Malone is not in his radar. Like. Like not at all. Whereas, like that's exactly the world Travis spends most of his time in now and shit. Like, so there is. So I think there's something to be said for that. Even like the band I'm in, you know, there's like a shared love of what we do. But then, like, we all have different interests and passions that yeah. like, no, wouldn't click with the other person. Like, mm. and speaking of your band, Nether Not, you just released your EP as well. It's called Infinity Pool, and it's out oh. on all sorts of great streaming services and everything. I think everyone should go give it a listen. Um, Thank you this plug appreciate it's it it's fucking sick man thank you that's kind of I what we were going to really see. really enjoyed it thank you sir that means um, a lot yeah, not going to make you um, review your own record but just for my two cents it's horrible ugly screamy noise there's touches of chat pile 
There's bits of betrayal of guilt in there. It's kind of, yeah, it's really, really cool project, man. You should be dead proud of it. And I'm dead proud of you. It's fucking wicked. Net or not, Thanks. Infinity Pool. Check it out. It's fucking great. Um, as Thanks. I said, it's available on all the streamers, I think. I will say as well, th- thank you so much for that. It means a lot. Very welcome. Um, uh, and before we get stuck in, I will just, because I, I would like to mention it, and I feel like I'll forget if I don't mention it really quickly. This past weekend, I went to City in Colour. Oh, for nice. My, my fifth time. And at this point, it really is like just going to a therapy session. (laughs) (laughs) It really is like, I just can't, like I, he played two hours, nearly 30 song set. And I I consistently wept for at least two thirds of the songs he fucking played. And I was Mr. Dallas Green, man. And there was something to be said as well, uh, really quickly, that the last time I saw Dallas Green live was in the Palladium here in London in February 2020. So literally like less than a month before the world got switched off. Like, And that tour was the first tour Dallas went on after his like longtime friend Horse passed away suddenly. So he opted to do this tour solo. So when the last time I saw him was solo in the Palladium after one of his best friends had passed away and you could see he was visibly lost. Mm. Like really dark place that's why he wanted to do the tour on his own and and since then COVID happened and this was literally his first time back in London since that time I saw him and now he's on tour with The Love Still Held Me Near which was one of my favourite albums of this year which is the album about the loss of horse so to kind of have those two mirror images of like Mm. seeing him alone just trying to make sense of his friend passing away and then seeing him three years later with the full band who all knew Horse as well, who played with Horse, touring the album that's all about Horse, like as a full band, it just seemed like this, this beautiful kind of progression he's made, like from how lost and like, and, and, you know, he felt back then and alone he felt to kind of where he is now with the power of love and music and his band again. And there was something to be said for, you know, how COVID kind of made everyone have different vibes and like we were looking we met Dallas Green that night we were going to see him in the Palladium and we still have the picture and he's like you know skinny jeans sneakers t-shirt like denim shirt short hair bit of stubble like your typical post-hardcore guy on his solo folk tour steez and now COVID and getting back with Alexis on fire just completely redefined Dallas Green swag, man, because he's got the long grey hair. He's got a beard like you, but it's silver. And he comes out in a fucking cowboy hat and this big, long, flowing navy, like, fucking robe. He, he looked like an emo preacher. And, like, and all the band had cowboy hats and carpets. And it was fucking cool, man. It looked, it looked like... It looked like if Blood Meridian was, like, set in an emo world or something. <laughs> it was, emo it was, Blood Meridian. Oh, Blood Meridian. And it was, you know what? And it just was one of those, you know, two hours, like just really gave everyone their money's worth and like proper, like career spanning set of songs from like all seven albums. And has he got like, seven albums, A City in Color now? Yeah, yeah. Jesus. The new one that he scored is the seventh. So he's prolific as fuck with it, man. Yeah, man. Yeah. I will say, the last thing I'll say, I really thought he couldn't like punch me anymore with his songs during that night until toward the end of the set. I can't think if it was Sleeping Sickness or The Girl. It was one of his really, really classic ones. He did solo. And when he got to the bridge, he interpolated the hook from This Could Be Anywhere in the World into it. <laughs> I was like, oh my God! Unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I think I lost like a stone in tears and sodium on Friday night. That can happen. Any exposure to city and colour, that, that's a liability. You're, you're just waiting to happen. Oh, it, is. it really can, man. Yeah. Fuck hell, like. yeah. But let's get stuck into some surprising tunes today. Let's so. get in. Are these bangers or clangers? Um, I'll, get, I'll, give you, um, I'll give you my thoughts as well. But like, for the most part, I, 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 I like most of these songs, I think. I think, okay. So you, you'll see the flavor in the first in the first few. I want to kick off with this band because I don't think we've ever actually really discussed them. Um, this is their biggest song, I believe. And coming in with 67.2 million streams on Spotify, we've got Blood and Thunder by Mastodon. Oh. Oh. 
That's one of the best songs ever written. Man. Yeah. Yes. Like, yeah. That song is like so deserving of like all of its praise. I mean, I, if I'm being honest with you, and I really, I don't want anyone to at me, but I feel like I'm definitely, without sounding too much of a hipster, I am definitely in the camp that prefers the first half of the Mastodon era. I don't, it's not that I Right dislike. there with you, my friend. Thank you. It's not, and like, I'm not, and I'm not one to be like, oh, they're shit now, or they sold out now. Because no, like, no, I mean, no, no, they're no. still brilliant. No, because so, there are songs on like, Once More Around the Sun that are like, obnoxiously catchy. Mm-hmm. And Emperor of Sand was like a victory lap of like all their sounds at once. So I mean, the newer stuff is still fucking cracking, but there is just something to be said for that. Remission, the Viatan era. The, even, Remission is a great debut, but for me, that three album run from Leviathan to Blood Mountain to Crack the Sky is just, yeah. obs- it's actually obscene. Chef's kiss. Chef's kiss, it is. And depending on the time of year, you ask me what's my favorite, I'll be like, oh, it's Leviathan or, or it's Blood Mountain. And then I'll get some, I'll get really introspective some evenings and it's Crack the Sky. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but it still has to come back to everything about Blood and Thunder from Brand Daler's opening drum fill to the obscenely bizarre music video uh, to the fact that like I had always kind of being totally honest because like I'm like I mean my degree was in writing and I like I big book nerd and mm. like, I try not to talk about it too much because I feel like people always people always try and use being into reading or being into literature as like a flex and it shouldn't be you could just it's like playing video games or watching movies everyone's oh. got their own different thing it doesn't so but i always kind of had, had heard of moby dick but it really took it took leviathan for me to go holy shit let me look into the story mm. behind this book and get really into it but yeah but, but i hold blood and thunder in such a place because it was my introduction to mastodon it's the first song i heard by them i think it's an amazing introduction still after all these years to mastodon if you want to mm-hmm. get someone started on them and if i'm getting really 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 niche on this I have a fond memory for Blood and Thunder as well because back in the OG days of gigging in Tralee when I was a teeny bopper and I was in my first band, Arkham, we were terrible and we used to gig with another band who were a bit older than us called Nephilim and Nephilim used to do a cover of Blood and Thunder and they did it in the gym of my secondary school and there's a video on YouTube of Nephilim, I'm not sure if it's still there, but there used to be a video of Nephilim in the CBS, the green secondary school in Tralee in the gym hall doing blood and thunder and inciting a huge wall of death, which is better than half of the wall of deaths you see at metal festivals these days. <laughs> Young Tralee boys who were obsessed with, with fucking Mastodon and Lamb of God and Matera, we knew how to march back in the day. Yes, we did. Uh, so I that, fucking love blood and thunder, man. Good. That's, I, I'm all pumped now. I like once this is done, no matter how many other songs we talk about, yeah. I've literally just got wide, well, yeah. holy, oh, so good! Single, amazing album opener. Just there's a re- Blood and Thunder is one of those songs where it, it, there's a reason it's one of their biggest songs. Definitely, absolutely. You I just mentioned say, my next choice. Before you continue, though, I will say I do think I prefer. The wolf is loose, or <laughs> this is what I was saying. The hipster choice from the music yeah. nerds. What a shocker! Or colony of Birchman, but that's just me. That's me in a blood mountain mood. But yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, yeah, blood and thunder all day. What a great tune! It's absolute banger, certified banger. Uh, yeah. Next up, you just mentioned the band. Well, I think we were all obsessed with it back in those uh, metal band early days uh, in our late teens. Pantera, walk. Is it a banger or is it a clanger? Oh man, like man, it's, 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 I, I, I'll answer your question with an anecdote, which I feel like is going to happen. For this we can't have too uh, many anecdotes. We've twenty songs to get through. I'll make it quick. Uh, I remember the one time I saw Avenged Sevenfold, who I fucking hate, except for that new album, which earlier <laughs> this year, which is unbelievable. And literally, they were supporting Metallica and no one gave a solitary shit about their set until they did a cover of Walk and everybody loved them and everybody was screaming along and cheering and because like how do you win metalheads over if they don't like your music at all yeah play Walk yeah <laughs> who no metalhead worth their salt doesn't like Walk doesn't even I feel like any metalhead 
any metal who's earned their stripes, no matter what other genres they're into and stuff, if they hear that, it's like a Nam flashback. They stop in place and they just remember when they first heard that fucking song. But Walk is definitely not one of my favorite Pantera songs. I'm the I love Walk the same way. And I don't want anyone to at me like I... Yes, I think it's a far better song in their catalogue than like Enter Sandman is to Metallica, but mm. I, I do hold Walk in a similar place. I feel like Walk's a great gateway song into Pantera. It's one of their great lead singles. It's an accessible-ish song, but like for me, I as much as I love most of the eras of Pantera, I like Pantera the most when it's like True Detective Season 1, sleazy, bayou, fucking violent, people fucking great southern trend kill yeah great southern yeah, trend kill is their best record i'm not hearing yes. any arguments it's no. easily easily the yeah. best record but um yeah. yeah i feel similarly about walk it is undeniably a banger but it's a timeless kind of banger it is. but it's very, it is very much kind of st- start here and if you're like oh this is yeah. cool then then you have a whole bevy of shit to discover walks a great entry point but it's it, it it's a great single but it is far from their best song. But I still love Absolutely. Walk. Yeah, yeah. I'd have no fucking taste if I didn't. Exactly. Um, similarly, again, I feel, um, <laughs> with 193.6 million plays from one of the best bands of all time, and I don't say that lightly, Fate No More, Epic. <laughs> Ah, uh, fuck. Um, I, I'm trying. I don't want to retread things, but like, definitely similar kind of point that I made mm-hmm. about Walk. I have for Epic. I mean, on one hand, Epic was literally the first Fate No More song I heard. Um, I still absolutely love it. I mean, if I'm do you? Yeah, if I'm anywhere, yeah. and I hear Epic come on, I'm not going to be like, "I'll oh, turn Epic off." I think Epic, but. I really, yeah, I think Epic's a great, Epic is, I have a real nostalgic soft spot for Epic, Mm -hmm. but, how do I say this? I feel like the, the far, the further you go into Faith No More and the further you go album wise, each album kind of makes the real thing worse. 100%. Get me one hundred percent. I couldn't agree more. But you know what was funny when I put this list together, I was like, "I'm going to put Epic on it because I don't really, I don't like Epic." Sean, you silly boy. What was the problem was I hadn't listened to Epic in quite a while, and I listened to it just before we started recording. Epic is unreal. <laughs> it's so good, and it's like sometimes you just need a little refresher on these songs that you kind of take for granted almost. And I think there's a thing you said yeah. as well for the fact that I feel like the real thing the real thing has a really I won't I don't want to use the word dated because that sounds derogatory but it has a very what what year did it come out was it 91 89 isn't it 89 yeah so the that's what I was going to say the DNA of the 80s is still so like festering within the crevices of the sonic makeup of the real thing that I think it really shows then that when Angel Dust happened like it was like this is what this is what now with with Patton sitting with the boys in Fate No More this is kind of the, the Fate no, that's when the magic started really happening mm-hmm. I feel like Fate No More were so used to their 80s funky metally pop rocky kind of sound with their OG vocalist Patton came in I think Patton very much had a respectful kind of, I'm here to do a service. I'm here to replace this vocalist, keep, keep, bring my identity, but keep the band's core values in place. And I think the real thing was a real good success. Like it was a really big success. So then I think by the time it got to the next album with Patton, he had been with them enough where his confidence as an artist and as a songwriter kind of came, rose up a bit more. And he was like, okay. That was what Fate No More were. I came in and I did a Fate No More album with you. But if I'm going to stay as a respected artist in Fate No More, I can't keep writing albums like this with you. These are the type of influences yeah. I have. And they really kind of... They it's like Proto Fate No More, almost. Yeah. And it's really like, it shows because, I mean, Pat and joining Fate No More 
completely changed what Fate No More would be if you're yeah. the other oh, yeah. with them. So the real thing is really fun. I mean, Falling to Pieces is an absolute banger and a half. Yeah, from and, out of nowhere and, yeah, yeah surprise you're nowhere. dead. Yeah, from out of nowhere is one of my favorites, actually. And even a great example, that synth line, the do 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 that's real 80s, new wave, and net funky vocal. You can hear there's a bit of Prince in there. And I love I love it, but again, it is, you know, 12-year-old, 11-year-old Zach hearing Epic, it's like, oh, awesome, I like this, I'm going to check this out. And then you have like 14-year-old Zach like hearing Last Cup of Sorrow and being like, oh, yeah. oh fuck. Exactly. Oh, fuck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think, but I Epic, think it's, it's safe to say Epic is a banger, yeah. A classic banger, but it, it's... It never trust anyone who tells you their favorite Fate No More song is Epic, though. Agreed. Um, this one, I, I can't remember if we discussed it on the episode we did about this band at the start of the year. But with a monumental 708.7 million plays on Spotify, Misery Business by Paramore. <laughs> God. Um, being, to- <laughs> being totally honest with you, it's funny because, I mean, we reviewed Paramore the yeah. started this year and it was it's a really good record. And mm-hmm. I'm like, properly like, for, for me, quick, quick, disclaimer i never liked paramore like never mm. like and it wasn't like uh uh their emo pop but like i mean like we, i brought it up many a time i was a blink when i two fanatic like yeah. i mean i wasn't gonna snap paramore like i liked my chemical romance and panic the disco and all it was just i never really i really didn't like any of the singles from the first record like i didn't like pressure or emergency or and then when misery business what? came out yeah it just it wasn't for me man just wasn't for me and yeah, okay then Misery Business came out and it was fucking everywhere. Like you couldn't breathe. You couldn't turn on Kerrang or Skulls yeah. without down your throat numerous man, times. I was so obsessed with Hayley Williams. I I was, I, I think I was actually in love with her. Do you know I what I mean? Been, like I, I was been. obsessed. So anytime I was like, oh, yes, par- Misery Business is back on again. I was just thrilled, delighted. But it wasn't until, funnily enough, um, a lot of my buddies were into it. And I was just like, no, man. Everyone was telling me, I'll listen to Riot. I was like, nah. And everyone of my buddies was like, oh, I listen to the new single, Crush, Crush, Crush. You'll love that. Mm. And I listened to Crush, Crush, Crush. And I was like, so it really never happened for me. And then when Ignorance came out from the third album, I was like, yeah, that's a really, really good song. But my, it, funnily enough, long story short, it wasn't until COVID and Haley Williams, Paramore's hiatus and Haley Williams going solo mm-hmm. that I fell in love with her solo material. I own both of those albums on vinyl. And, that, and then because my taste had matured a bit and stuff and I really liked the new Paramore stuff, I was like, Do you know what? I'll go back and listen to some of the earlier stuff. And I ended up coming into a copy of Riot on vinyl. <coughs> I also think... <clears throat> A big part of me appreciating Paramore came from Lower Than Atlantis doing a cover of That's What You Get. Because mm-hmm. hearing that from a band I loved made me realize how good that song was. And then I went back and listened to the Paramore version again and I was like, wow, this is a brilliant song. Yeah. So then amazing. I dove into Riot properly. And do you know what? Misery Business is... To use your phrase, like after much ado of my rambling, and Misery Business is a fucking worldie. <laughs> It is. It is. It's yeah. just an it's... absolute. There's a reason why on Paramore's like comeback tour slash this is why tour, like no matter they've brought out guest musicians, guest vocalists, fans from the crowd mm-hmm. with signs, it brought out fucking basketballers that one of them might know. <laughs> Steph like, Curry no singing matter, mystery yeah. business yeah. was not on my bingo card for no. 2023. <laughs> Seriously. But like, and that's the thing, you'd have, there are people out there who would still call people who like Blink-182 goths and would would actually like shudder at listening to music with a guitar that know all the words to Misery Business. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, I it's one of those pop songs. And it is one of those, and even, even the fact that Hayley Williams, you know, bless her, she was trying to navigate the, the woke world of cancellations the last decade. Mm. And it got to that point of, you know, oh, you know, misery business isn't woke. It's so like, it's this, it's slut shaming. Yeah. 
that and you can't have a song be about its era or its time anymore and you should like announce that you never want to do this song again or your fans won't love you and, and she was like we'll never do it again and it was like yay and then I think COVID happened and she did her solo material and Paramore got back together and she was like you know what who the fuck am I answering to she's like fuck this Why are we going to keep our fans from hearing one of our biggest songs because a couple of people on Twitter are sensitive like fuck Man. off like when I saw them play this year I don't know if I ever heard a louder cra- crowd reaction than Misery Business. Yeah. It went so hard. Like, it was, it sounded like the biggest song I've ever heard live. And I've seen, like, some of the biggest bands in the history of fucking music live. And Misery Business was the equal to all of them. It was incredible. And I think that Misery Business is an absolute worldly. I think it's an undeniable banger. Like, you know, undeniable. And I, I think the last thing I'll say about Misery Business is for, for as much as the flack you want to throw it, Misery Business, I think, is one of those songs that, I'm going to sound really pretentious here, but I feel like Misery Business is one of those tracks that perfectly, like, distills emo and, like, pop punk and alternative music <clears throat> with rip the fucking roof off of a 50,000 capacity stadium arena pop sensibility like it, it is you know it 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 is the pop yeah. song Taylor wish she wrote like it's one yeah. of it and it showed how pop punk could be as big as a pop song could be and it's it's the reason people it's the reason why Olivia Rodrigo had to give Hayley Williams a retroactive writing credit it's the reason yeah. like pop punk is so insidious in the makeup of pop music now and Paramore especially Misery Business had a huge hand in that definitely so, I mean, and again like I'm never going to go out of my way to throw on Misery Business but like if I'm on a night out though and like that comes on in the pub like yeah, of course I'm belting it out man fuck absolute off absolute shapes yeah yeah um, shapes again. speaking of songs with insidious influence um, this might be our first controversial one I don't know uh, with 60.4 million plays on Spotify. Doomsday by Architects. Wank. Really? Okay. So Wank. it's a clanger. Wank, clanger. Oh, really? oh, okay. From that Architects era is clanger. Don't like it at all. We've been here before. We we, we have different right. opinions. I, I, I there, Again, like I mentioned with Mastodon earlier, Architects for me are a band of two halves. Yeah, mm. uh, and I'm not talking to two different vocalists because they only had like Tim, I think his name was for nightmares. But the Sam Carter era for me, I I knew I I knew clearly that I was check. I knew the album where I was checking out, and that was Lost Forever, Lost Together, mm. because there are songs on that album that I still absolutely love. Like yeah. I fucking love Gravedigger. I love Naysayer. Broken Cross is feral. There are like the production on that album is immense, but I feel like for me, I mean, we've said this before. Like Hollow Crown, Ruin, and Hollow Crown are amazing. The Here and Now is the misunderstood gem. Like such a brilliant fucking little record. We will always go to bat for that record. Yeah. I'll always, always fight the corner of the Here and Now. But then I also think I think Daybreaker was an excellent damage control because. Daybreaker was like, okay, not everyone jailed with the here and now. Maybe every experiment didn't land, but there are parts of the here and now we're proud of that we want to keep mm. as part of our makeup. So the here and now was like taking the things they wanted to keep from the experimentation of the here and now. I mean, sorry, on Daybreaker, but then reinstilling some of the ferocity of Follow Crown. And I, and I, I think Daybreaker is their masterwork. Uh, there's something about it, man. Um, the Devil's Island. But if you go, uh, if you focus in on Doomsday, why is Doomsday a wank? Because I I feel like after Daybreaker, then they went Lost Forever Lost Together happened, mm. and that was them taking the taking the kind of consistency of the sound that was happening on Daybreaker and being like, right, this is us now. This is how we sound. We're groovy, sugar tinged, proggy fast-paced metalcore mm. with these endemic ah, hooks and we, we kind of nailed the blueprint on a couple of these, these daybreaker songs and this is how we sound from now on and i feel like lost forever lost together onwards all our gods have abandoned us every album since lost forever just follows the same blueprint 
it's just, and every and each album I would listen to the singles be like, oh, what's this going to be? And it's just. Politics and waterfalls. It just it just turned into wank, man. It turned into Jim Bro prog metal music for lads who like 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 there's a reason why architects sell out like 20,000 cap venues in fucking Germany and then 20 other bands that sound like architects can't fill a small little bar because loads of dudes who don't like metal or punk or know anything about music love architects because they make them it has that oh it's a bit techy and heavy but it's 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 metal music for posers man and it's just it, and it just makes me sad because when I think back to the ferocity of something like Devil's Island off of Daybreaker or, or just even the but, entire but what about Doomsday what what about Doomsday be honest with you, Doomsday does the reason I'm rambling so much is Doomsday doesn't have a Doomsday and the hereafter and fucking all those songs just blur together. What about from, Doomsday? <laughs> it's just another fucking generic architect right, okay. song with chuggy riffs and a big fucking wanky fucking clean hook and overproduced and a video where they're playing with spacey kind of black screens and it's just wank man it, all architect all architects material in that era is just wank i really don't like it and that that's the best you're gonna get from me right so moving swiftly on from the architects debacle um, it's, it's it's shit okay it's just <laughs> it's it, like i said it all well moving apart from, swiftly on <laughs> apart from their newest album which is terrible that's a total other type of terrible that three album run there of like those albums that all just sound like Doomsday. Like that is just not my architects, man. That's that's not my architects. They're not building that's my it. house. No. But you know what? As much as I just went on that tirade, I just want to say I don't actively like go on the fucking band's Instagram or Facebook and comment being like, this is shit, this stuff is shit. Where, why isn't it like the old stuff? You know what? I knew when I got to Last Forever Lost together, I was like, I think this is where me and the band amicably go. I think a lot of people need to amicably break up with bands and stop feeling betrayed by them. Because, you know what? I, ha- I Like I said earlier, I have the here and now. I have Daybreaker. I have those albums I love. And there's plenty of people who love the albums like to do with Doomsday on it that I fucking hate. But if other people vibe in that, awesome. I'm not going to go on. To, you know what? You can have your opinion, but also like not be a prick about it. And I think a lot of fans get that wrong. They feel like they have to be like contra- confrontational with their opinion. And it's like, no, just start a podcast. We have a few listeners and you can vent this shit in a healthy medium kept away from the band. <laughs> like they don't need. So yeah, that's yeah. Anyway, moving swiftly on. I, oh. I, but, this is why we can never do an Architects Deep Dive episode because it'll get way Uh With 61.8 million plays, a blast from the 2001-2002 past. Alien Ant Farm. Movies. I was just going to say, that's like the year to two year gap where I kind of discovered music. Yeah. So, uh, I fucking love movies. Yes, boy! Love Woo. I've such a deep soft spot for this. Song. I like, I don't know whether I just like it because of nostalgia or not, but I love movies. Movies is an unbelievable song. I uh, do you know what? I'm going to be really literal and meta here. Do you know why I, I think the main reason I love movies is that I'm not like I, I am the most casual alien ant farm that's out there. You know, I know the singles. I've never. Since to an album in full, you're laughing. Do they have Die Hard fans? I don't know. I just, I, I, I'm assuming there's a few that core there's people. There's gotta be a few who've listened to the albums and shit. So, like, I, 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 my whole thing has always been whatever songs have been popular, I've heard. Yeah. But when I was a kid, like, I, like most people, my first introduction to them was Smooth Criminal, which yeah. is just a really class cover and a great video, but. I didn't know that it was a cover until like my second time hearing it. And like my dad walked by the telly and was like, oh, that's a cover. That's a Michael Jackson song. And I was like, oh, that's really mad. That's cool. Cool. But then I started like, even though I was like 10 or 11, I already had weird thoughts about music, man. I knew I was different, you know, I knew I was going to be. <laughs> you know? So like, yeah, I just started thinking, oh, if Smooth Criminal is a cover, what if I don't like their own songs? Yeah. I got worried about that. And then I heard movies and I was like, oh no, this is class. They that actually can write it so on their own. And then as I got older and my ch- tastes changed and I, you know, I feel, 
am I the only one, this goes out to anyone listening as well, that I feel like there are certain songs and certain albums that I was into when I was a kid and really young and got older and then kind of put down in my teenage years because I discovered way more genres of music and new artists. And But I find when I've gone back to really old albums or like albums I listened to when I was really young and singles and old songs mm. with the taste and kind of the mature listening years I have now, I can appreciate them way more. You know, I pick up Same. on things how they're produced and I like, or like how short the second verse is or what if the, what the bridge is. I really appreciate the structure of the songs. And, and I find that especially goes for like a lot of the early Kerrang era pop rock kind of songs I've been exposed to. When I go back and listen to it, because what oh, I do is if there's I... There's a few more of them on this list. Good. Because one that's one of my kind of, if I come home like off my head, Maldi, and like I, I'm too fucked up for a movie and I just want to like eat some takeaway and pass out on the couch... I like throw on like a uh, Kerrang 2000s, 2000 to 2002, like mixtape on uh, <laughs> with all the music videos. And it'll just be like, I'm back there. And I'll be like, oh, this tune is like so good. So I totally got off topic there. What song were we talking about? Movies. Yeah. That song, when I've gone back to that, the older I've gotten, every time I hear it, I appreciate it more and more mm-hmm. as just like this lovely, because it's, it's kind of pop punk, but it's kind of emo, but it's kind of for the MTV generation. Yeah. Kind of has a little waft of Deftones pop. If like a Deftones were a pop band off it. No, I'm not knowing that. I'm it striking does, that. Mate. I'm striking that from the record. <laughs> Come on, he's putting on a Chino fucking impression in those vocals. Like the movies and just like I'm telling you, there's a bit of Chinoisms going on there. You're lying to yourself. You're lying to yourself. <laughs> movies is a banger. Excellent. That song. Uh, it's the man responsible for Alien and Farm's career. We move to Michael Jackson with 986.1 million plays. Beat it. Oh, one of the best songs of all time ever. Yes, boy. Yes, boy. No hipster posing from further record because Beat It is the fucking shit. Beat It is ridiculous. Like, Beat It is... And I didn't need a Fall Out Boy cover to to let me know that it was okay. No, that's a whack cover. Abysmal. Even the John Mayer solo on it is shit. It's just a really bad (laughs) You have to be a really bad band to make Beat It bad. Yeah. And it's really... At Fall Out Boy, you would have thought that's an instant slam dunk. That would be so just on paper. That sounds perfect. Fall Out Boy doing a cover of Beat It. Patrick Stump doing his. Eh, eh, yeah. But it, like the execution is so bad. Like. It's so bad. But I, I'm, I, I think we don't really have to say too much about Beat It. It's one of the no. most omnipresent songs of all time. I just wanted to see what your, your, your temperature was on that track. Can I? I'm going to let the veil down really quickly for mm. a minute. So before your boy, Mr. Zach Buggy, was in like screamo sludge bands and did podcasts about niche music, mm. like when he was younger, he was in stage school. When I was like 10, 10 to like 12, 13, I was in like singing in dra- drama school, like like on Saturdays. I did not know that. Yeah. He plays and fucking, yeah, did musicals. And yeah, fucking, nice. Like, theater thing but there was like a load of people in it like but yeah and like it was all about like this like i was love i loved movies and shit and that like mm. when you're like 10 11 and you love movies and you want to act the only acting you get is stage school yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like i was i took whatever i could get man and anyway long story short one of the songs for one of the musical things because like they'd like jump they'd chop up like five or six fucking musicals and put a couple of the great songs together because it'd be like a bunch of teenagers and kids doing it like uh and we had to learn the words to beat it mm. uh, just for like fucking i don't know like vocal things and like with like every, all the people dancing around us but like so that was like my first time ever i was like 11 12 and that was my first time ever kind of like sitting down with a michael jackson song and the lyrics and having to learn the words and like me and all the lads were kind of like this is class it's so good. <laughs> 
a bunch of like 11, 12 year olds like we're all into Slipknot and like fucking Metallica and like Papa yeah, Road. But, but then you hear wow, now, 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 now. And you're like, oh, that's a guitar riff. And even the cadence of the vocals, man, and the delivery. Ah, uh, it's so good. It's, so, it's actually a perfect song. Beat it's a uh, perfect Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm so happy. Yeah, I fucking so good. Oh, it's so actually, good. that song's going to live rent free in my head for the rest of this Sunday now, I tell you. It's so like, good. No, this... <laughs> The next one I have, I, I, I feel like I know where this is gonna go, and I feel like it's at the opposite to what I think about it. Okay, <laughs> I feel like I'm gonna get my feelings hurt here. With a, a simply gigantic, seven hundred and sixty-six million plays from Chris Rock, Absolute Heroes, Oasis. <laughs> Don't look back in anger. He waits. He waits. I thought you would have known me better than that. I'm not sure. Don't look back in anger is an absolute fucking worldy. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I'm gonna. I am not gonna sit here on this podcast and front like I have not at least 14 maybe 15 times had my arms around random strangers absolutely asa yawr yeah. in a pop yeah 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 along to this song it's just the song that unifies people man. is it is it the quintessential arms around a stranger singing every word song it's definitely in the top three I'd it say. has to be it has to be one of them yeah and like uh, for you know, I'm. This is my job. <laughs> Playing these songs is my job, and like, no matter what crowd I play for, whether it's like eighteen-year-olds all the way up to like fiftieth birthday parties, day twos of weddings, whatever it is, "Don't Look Back in Anger" is a unifying song, and yeah, uh, to me, it's one of if if beat it is a perfect song. Like Donna Back in Anger to me is is the perfect song almost. I have I just have an indelible relationship with this song. I can't I can't let go of it. I, I will forever, forever love this song. It is it's honestly without being like over the top, right? It's one of the most important songs of my life because it's given me some of my favorite moments ever. Uh, it's it's I I I adore it and I will adore it until the end of time. My I, I just it's made me what? cry. When I've sung it, you know, for people and they've sung it back and I, I just, I adore it forever. I'm kind of glad you said that because I was, my po the point I was just going to make was that the thing about Don't Look Back in Anger that works so well is that it's a song that if you play it in a packed room for people, it's arms around each other, singing along, embracing, kind of really exercising the emotion that song brings up. But if you play that song to a small group of like seated people, it also has a very different kind of like... It's very poignant. A poignant, resonant, mm. emotional effect. It's a song you... It's a song that's equally powerful in a, isolated and with people. Some songs work better in, in isolation. Some songs work better in a crowd. It's a song that works on both levels and it's and that's why it's timeless and that's it why is, it is yeah. a classic like no I I like I I am very much like a novice when it comes to Oasis I've never listened to a full Oasis album I mocked them because I just hate the two boys but and I don't which like is, which is fair and I don't like any of the solo stuff but like I will admit like I mean every Oasis single that I've heard like I know yeah. the greatest things and I think they're all brilliant and I would need to take I will take the dive one day I'm sure mm. but There's I a lot there for you but Don't Look Back in Anger is, it's a classic, man. It's Absolutely. an absolute, Don't Look Back in Anger is one of those songs. I think, uh, I think we all have them. It's one of those songs that I say there's, a, I have at least 10 to 20 songs in my life that growing up, I knew the song almost by word for word before I knew the title of the song. Yeah, it's just because like, I was, I was exposed to the song. Before like, you've ever even heard it, you kind of know it. Like, every, you know, like yeah. Well, ask most people. Most people probably don't know but most people subconsciously heard Mr. Brightside before they knew who the killers were. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. That lifestyle ad. The lifestyle ad, yeah. 
Yeah, it's yeah. one of those. It's one of those. Yeah, it's uh, one of those. Don't look back in anger is one of those. It's timeless classic, man. Unreal. Worldly. So, uh, a, a timeless classic of a completely different nature and one that would not work in an isolated, small, intimate setting. <laughs> 447.8 million plays. Limp Biscuit rolling. <laughs> what needs to be said about the works of... Of Freddie D and the boys. Oh, 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 the works of geniuses. What needs to be said of the Iliad or the Odyssey by Homer? What needs to be said about Ulysses by James Joyce? Like, what needs to be said about every single microsecond that makes up the 15 <laughs> tracks on the Chocolate Starfish and the Hot Dog Favorite Water? It is a seminal genre, era-defining piece of art that will be, like, preserved for millennia in, in the, the annals of music history. And Roland is one of the air-raid vehicle Assault is one of the definitive statements on that record. That song is... People who go, fucking Limp Biscuit, fucking Roland, especially musicians who say, Limp Biscuit, Roland, mm. cut their fucking throat to write a song half as good as Roland. Fuck off. Roland is a classic, man. I did I not expect this impassioned the defense of Roland. I, 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 like, I, most of Limp Biscuit shit, I'm like... Yeah, I know, I know, I know. I like it, but yeah. I know. But Chocolate Starfish is is a fucking classic album. Oh man, it's the best. Like and for what it is, it is perfect. Because people say, "Oh, like people that hold this album to such high esteem, and it's so stupid, and it's so." I'm like, do you not think that that album with that much money and Terry Date and like Fred Durst is a smart bastard. Like they are all smart, talented. Ba- like that album is a calculated piece of perfect stupidity. It's Generation X, late nineties, pissed off rap rock. We're getting money to fucking mix everything we want together. We don't give a fuck. It's just a, a, it. That album nails what it sets out to achieve. Uh, you can't be like, oh, does this sound like Sgt. Pepper? No, it doesn't, so it sucks. No. The, what what, what Chocolate Starfish plans to be, it, it knocks it so out of the park. That album, even the ebb and flow of it, man, from fucking... Has an album ever... ever oh, my God. Has it ever matched the brief as well as, as Chocolate Starfish? Yes. We want well, you I'm to saying- write the smartest stupid album of all time that is just filled with wall-to-wall bangers, couple of little introspective bits. Oh, it's 2000 and we need some skits. Okay, we got them. We need some rap rock features. Yeah, we got them. We need some celebrities in the videos. Check, 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 motherfucker. This is Limp Biscuit. It like fucking, it, and it like, and it's like for people who are a bit younger, not to sound too fucking patronizing at all. I'm just trying to clarify, like, that when Chocolate Starfish came out, it was actually in hindsight, it's ludicrous how big a band like that were. Like the, myself and my mate Owen always used to joke that everyone in the fucking everyone in our generation just had a copy of that album in their yep. house. It, it, like everyone had that with the silver special edition sticker. Everyone had that. I mean, take a look around. Samples the Mission Impossible theme and was used in Mission Impossible Two. I mean, My Way was the theme song for WrestleMania Seventeen. That album and band were fucking everywhere. Do you know the way? Fred like, Dark- like Knock- metal. Metal never really hit it in Ireland, like of any kind. Ireland is not a very, very metal friendly kind of place. Roland was number one in the singles chart, and. Chocolate Starfish was number one in the album charts yeah. at the same time. Like, like they because, were. Do you know what? Do you know what was number two to Roland? What? Dirty by Christina Aguilera. Limp Bizkit kept Christina Aguilera off the top spot in Ireland. That's how fucking big they were. Yeah, Limp Bizkit were literally like in they, their name was next to like Christina Aguilera, Britney Spears, and Eminem. Yep. Like, in all those articles, and it was just obscene. For to think twelve about. to eighteen months, Limp Bizkit were the biggest band in the world, with the opening track on their album being "Hot Dog." Yep, a, a song that tries to say "fuck" as many times in a song as possible, and has just is a major diss to Trent Reznor from Nine Inch Nails, who yep. we also love. So I mean, it's just a fuck. But to get back to Roland, Roland is just 
one of the perfect examples of how brilliant that fucking album is. I don't know anyone who you put rolling on for and they want to just be like, ah, oh, banger. Yeah. Like, like rolling is just... It's the best. Oh, oh, something uh, something of a similar ilk. Okay, um, yeah. I would say almost as undeniable. Um, it just gives us an excuse to talk about it, really. But if Roland had 447 million plays, this song has 1.7 billion plays. The booby BB. And it's In the End by Linkin Park. <laughs> Worthy, come yeah. on. Yeah. yeah. You Literally. see, this is the thing. I don't like people who pretend that Linkin Park were never good. Man, I I I still talk to people and I'm like, <clears throat> I they're like, I still I think Linkin Park man like get a bit of a bad rap, and I'll be like, I saw Linkin Park support Metallica on tour with Meteora, and mm-hmm. the set was made up of just Hyperterian Meteora cost. And I've had people like look at me like you lucky bastard, yeah, like yeah. that. Absolutely, oh, yeah, I, I I hold on to that that show, man. Like I mean, that was a special. Like those two albums. Say what you want about Minutes. Flying after everything, uh, everything after that, but Hybrid Theory and Meteora are. Th- I've gone back to them in my adult life and been like, "Oh no, I wasn't just tw- a 10, 12 and obsessed with these records as a kid. These there was a reason I was obsessed with these records. These are brilliantly produced, brilliantly ri- written records. And the deep cuts, uh, just to get on the deep cuts for a second, I recently uh, came into a copy of Hybrid Theory on vinyl and I spun it again, man, and like. Songs uh, like Points of Authority, With You, uh, A Place for My Head. I love uh, A Place for My Head. Run Away. Run Away. Fucking Like that whole man. album, man. And Meteora, uh, Lying to You yeah. is one of the most underrated cuts they have. Somewhere the sh- I Belong, man. So oh, good. The Faint, man. Are, they're, oh. Yeah. I remember listening to that as a kid and my dad being like, whoa, about the strings in Faint. He just thought it was so cool. Ah, oh, man. But yeah, uh, in the end is again. It was one of those songs that was everywhere, and this is this is one of those moments. I'm going to say, when I was, I was eight, and this was in a time when you know bands like that would get advertised on telly because we didn't have the internet, and it was like the week before my communion. <laughs> and I kept seeing ads on telly for Hybrid Theory, and they were just showing clips of One Step Closer and Paper Cut. And I just thought, that's what I want to buy with my communion money. <laughs> At the moment I finished my communion, I went to Roxy Records. I bought Hyper Theory. And as an eight-year-old on his communion, my parents let me put it on in the car. And I spun that record to death. In the end is that tune. It's cheesy CGI video aside. <laughs> that was everywhere. And it's so of its era, man. And in the end, you know. That song is eternal, though. And the thing is, I will say this really quickly without trying to get too somber. Linkin Park were a band that I got into when I was re- a child. So mm-hmm. a lot of the lyrics, even though I would learn the lyrics and know the words, they wouldn't resonate on any deeper level with me because I'm a child who can't think abstractly and doesn't yeah. have those concepts of feelings yet. So then you get to your teenage years and you develop and then you start listening to other shit. So then when you come back to those songs, like I was saying earlier, at a later age and you listen to them and then you can begin to identify with the like actual sincerity in the lyrics in a way that you couldn't have when you were eight years old and loving the album. And then when you put into hindsight what tragically happened to Chester Bennington, when you revisit those lyrics again, for even as big as those songs got and as catchy as they are, those lyrics are very earnest, honest, and I tried so hard and got so far. In the end, it doesn't even matter. Yeah, Do you know, I mean, I if, if that is an eerily prophetic as to how Chester's life played out, man, it's it's, yeah. it's amazing. Amazing. So really, yeah. no, no. In the end, is uh, even before what happened happened. Yeah. In the end, worldly anyway, but it, it, it's become an even more like prophetic and. And a poignant song. Uh, in the end, is a classic, man. Love yeah. it. This one is a huge omnipresent song. I I try to stay away from the ones that just every single fucker in the whole world knows. But, you know, I just want to throw this in for a laugh. This is 1.3 b- 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 billion plays <laughs> from the man who's rocked at 10 million faces. Is that what he says? Mr. Bon Jovi with Living on a Prayer. <laughs> <laughs> 
living on a prayer is just complete fucking cheese but like yeah. that's what it, that's what it set out to be yeah. i would say though i'm not going to be like oh fuck that because total transparency i'm like nah, because living on a prayer just isn't my bon jovi jam i think everyone has a bon jovi jam or two mm-hmm. and i have them mine being totally honest are wanted dead or alive yeah and bad medicine they're my two bon jovi tunes that make me just want to like punch the fucking wall and if you put enough vodka red bull in me i will cry to it's my life <laughs> i love better roses as well and i know it's so cheesy but i fucking love it i mean um, living out there is fun for what it is but like it wouldn't be my go-to ever for a cheesy old 80s song but like yeah. no shade at living living on a prayer i you know what man i just it's i it's not shit but i hate it <laughs> I know what you <laughs> do, do you know what I mean? Like oh, it's obviously not shit, but I just fucking hate it. I want that on a t-shirt. I feel like that's kind of how I feel about so much music these days. It's like, yeah. it's like, it, it, like I, you know, it's not shit. I just hate it. Yeah. Um, one billion plays again. Uh, Miss Jay Z, <laughs> Beyonce, Crazy in Love, Worldly. Yeah. It is. I, I know you, you're not a massive Beyonce fan, are you? You don't. You're not really. Yeah. But like, I mean, again, I'd be very much like an, a, a casual adjacent mm. fan of Beyonce. I mean, I have never listened to a full Beyonce album. Mm. I didn't cry when like Lemonade dropped, or <laughs> so you, you I, didn't make it your whole personality. No, so I didn't take a day off work to listen to Renaissance. You know, I'm I'm not a I'm not a Beyonce fucking fan, but. I have been exposed to Beyonce because I have fucking ears yeah. and I am aware of music. So and you're alive. I'm alive. So yeah. you can't get away from Beyonce. Uh, and there's at least 10 to 12 Beyonce greatest hits that if you threw on in a playlist, like while I'm frying eggs on a Sunday, I'd be like, oh, shit, yeah. 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 And Crazy in Love is like top of that list. Uh, Crazy in Love is, it's, it, it, yeah. Cra- Crazy in Love is why, you know, why Destiny's Child had to end because yeah, hundred percent. Crazy in Love is one of the best pop songs ever written. Yes, it is. That's exactly what it is. Couldn't agree more. Yeah, um, this one might be a little bit more interesting. Um, we've got a few to get through, so we're just going to absolutely talk through these last few. Um, nothing else matters with one billion plays by Metallica. Uh, another case of uh, just a, a classic worldy, but. A song that I, to be honest with you, I'm just kind of sick to the back teeth of. Yeah. But that is not, that's just the curse of a really popular song. It is. It's, it's one of those just all time great songs that I never want to hear again because I have listened to that album a shit ton and I have heard that song covered ad nauseum and I've heard that song played on so many different and I've listened to so many different live releases by the band, and I've seen the band so many times so I am so done with Nothing Else Matters but if you don't know Nothing Else Matters if you're a young 10, 11 year old getting into rock and metal and you just hear Enter Sandman you just hear From the Bell Tolls and you just picked up an acoustic guitar and you're thinking about learning you hear Nothing Else Matters that shit's going to change you I just, imagine, yeah, I still, just imagine I can't even imagine a world without Nothing Else Matters but imagine yeah. hearing it again for the first time. That's it's like eating Skittles for the first time or something. Yeah, it's like oh, holy shit, everything is different now. Yeah, what the fuck? Like I think Elton John did a fucking interview there a year or two ago, and oh, that's right, yeah. It was something about Metallica, and he just said, "Oh, nothing else matters." Like that's their best songs, one of the greatest songs ever written. So yeah, nothing else matters. Elton John's seal of approval, classic. I just, Absolutely. I'm, I never need to hear it again. Same. Um, 488 million. Pearl Jam, alive. Oh, man. Absolute banger. Worldy, classic. Uh, fucking 10. Just 10 is a 10. And alive is <laughs> End of story. If you don't know Pearl Jam, if you don't know 10, go listen to 10. 10 is a 10. And alive is one of the best examples of why it's a 10. Go listen to it now. Stop. Turn the podcast off. Listen to Pearl Jam. Alive. Fair. Can't, can't say fair than that, really. Other. My brother could not go for a shower without taking about 10 minutes to ro- de- disrobe in the hallway singing alive. <laughs> I'm not 
talking. If he was going out in a night out, I'd be there in my room and all I'd hear is, I'm still alive. <laughs> yeah. Uh, offensive, like offensive fucking Vedder impression I've ever yeah. heard. Live is like, oh, just come on. Fucking yeah. hell. I don't, I don't really like Pearl Jam, but even I love Alive. Like, Alive is fucking amazing. Oh, I'm not the, the biggest diehard Pearl yeah. Jam and stopped making albums about 20 fucking years ago. 100%. Uh, yeah, everything they put out now is Drek, but 90s Pearl Jam is excellent and 10 is a 10. End of. Speaking of bands who should have stopped making music about 20 years ago, 831 million plays, good sir. Green Day, American Idiot. I love American Idiot. <gasps> Do you? I know I know a lot of people hate on American Idiot. Um, but I was only literally talking about this at work during the week with, on my lunch with the lads. The thing about American Idiot is that everyone hates American Idiot in hindsight because it is actually a lot of people think it's shit, but it's not. It's a great record, but it was the last good record from Green Day. 100%. So it kind of, it signaled it brought them to a whole new era. It brought them to the new generation. They were no longer the 90s punk slacker band. They were the band for My Chemical Romance fans. And they kind of target, they charted a new course. And everything after American Idiot is terrible. 21st Century Breakdown's terrible. The Uno Dos Trace right. albums are fucking off. I keep forgetting Revolution Radio even happened. Uh, the father of all motherfuckers. That's the worst one, I think. They're embarrassing. They're embarrassing, and now they're they're back, and that new song they have out is shite. The American Dream is just terrible. It really says it all when their new album's called Saviors. They're going out next year on the Saviors tour, but they're billing it as celebrating Dookie and American Idiot. Yeah. So you're basically on the laurels of your two most famous albums to promote your, your new, new album. album. Yeah, here, like yeah. so, fuck them, Amer- American Idiot gets a lot of hate but it's actually the last great album but people think it's shit because it was the last album before they got shit uh i think american idiots an absolute fucking banger it shows you how it shows you how you can make nearly i'd say hundreds of millions of dollars off of three chords and a child's distortion pedal (laughs) uh biffy clyro mountains banger or clanger uh, absolute banger yeah. so utterly cheesy and ridiculous and over the top and in the hands of any other band it would come off as trite and fucking schmaltzy and cringe but Biffy Clyro was playing that sweet spot between utter sincerity and total bizarre weirdness where they can go post-hardcore and then they can go orchestral mm. and with Simon's pop sensibility and the charisma they can pull off nearly everything sometimes it doesn't work for me Later material is one or two little duds. Different but conversation. We'll get there. <laughs> but mountains to the wrong ears. It can be like, oh man, that's like, oh, what the fuck's that? So cheesy. That's not what I want for my alt rock. But there is something magical about yeah. being a festival with a point and yep. I am a mountain. And it has Love to it. have that Scottish accent. It there's something just only revolutions has this beautiful cheesy charm to it and Mountains exemplifies that so Absolutely. well I love Mountains love it uh, Lamb of God Redneck uh, bring it back to Walk with Pantera exact same point absolutely mm-hmm. love this song it was probably my main introduction to Lamb of God but I literally heard Redneck like three times then a buddy lent me as the palace is burned <laughs> and ashes and I listened <laughs> uh, yeah. and, and, and my whole 14 year old life turned upside fucking down boy Lama and, God did that to people back in the day yeah 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 they really did they shook the roots man and yeah. like from ruined as the palace is burned to fucking oh god laid to rest to omerta now you got something to die for like yeah and then i went to him again and he gave me the burn the priest record before so by the time i got to sacrament and listened to it in full i was like oh this is class and this is the album at redneck but holy shit the other stuff is just (laughs) so i love redneck but it's a great gateway song but there are so many were treasures of lamb of god to behold man absolutely the used taste of ink it's grand. I've never been the biggest used fan. Fair. They, they were just one of the ones that didn't. 
I got caught by panic and I got caught by fucking Fallout Boy and my mm-hmm. camera. But I didn't get caught by the used. I taste the inks, a good tune. They're a good band. They're tight with a lot of bands I love, but mm-hmm. I just never really, they just never clicked to me, grabbed my attention. But I know to that the people who fuck with the used, the taste of ink is like their song. Like it's that the first, one. that first used record is, is my favorite record of that genre. Class. class. I love it. Um, Madonna, Material Girl. Oh, God. Uh, classic pop song. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> You're not going any further than that. <laughs> that that's where my, like, I, I have a, a, sc- a scholastic fucking opinion on Madonna and nothing yeah. else. I go by the research and, and my analytical approach, but I have zero, <laughs> zero emotional regard for anything Madonna has ever done, like, yeah. ever. But uh, Material Girl, it's it's a classic pop song cool. of a classic. The last one, Weezer, Beverly Hills. One of the most criminally underrated Weezer songs there is. <laughs> Spoken like a true Weezer apologist. This song gets so much flack. Uh, I think people miss the point of it completely. It's meant to be really dry and sardonic yeah. and offbeat and narcissistic. And people take it on face value because Rivers Cuomo is so blunt and it got so popular, people just think it's a shit song about wanting to be in Beverly Hills. And he's actually a, an anthem about the, the fucking vapidness of wanting that life that goes over everyone's heads. So it actually, I've, I'm done trying to defend this. If you don't get it, that's on you. It's a banger to me. Love it. One of the most underrated bangers. Awesome. There you have it. As we rush towards the finish, that's been was- episode 71 of Hard to Record. You motherfucker. It's your You're- turn. <laughs> I'm, I, I cannot wait. Banger or clanger. That was such a laugh. I never laughed as much as the, the architects rank. So good. My name is Sean Tierney. His name is Zach Buggy. We'll talk to you next week for part two. Music is the best. Some of these tunes weren't the best. Bye. <laughs>